So after 26 episodes, I think we probably ought to come to every developer's favourite topic, debugging. But surely you never have to debug, Tom, do you? Because you, <laughs> you do functional programming, and uh, if you do functional programming, bugs just don't turn up. I'm sure you said something like that last week. I said you get fewer bugs. That's the important thing to notice, <laughs> fewer bugs. Um, but you still get bugs. Bugs come all the time. It's just an inevitable part of the process. You've got to think of everything out there that works. There was a point in its history where it did not work. <laughs> uh, you've got to get from there to the working product, and the way you get there is by fixing bugs. Yeah, bug, um, but debugging does seem to come up quite a lot as uh, something that, well, something that happens to me. Um, I seem to spend more time doing debugging than actually writing code <laughs> or planning. <laughs> Which is probably not a good ratio to have. <laughs> I think it's probably about fair, though. Most people, you write something, and then instantly there are bugs to deal with, and that's that's the process. I don't know. Well, maybe I'm doing it wrong as well, but that <laughs> <laughs> definitely is the process in my experience. Is and To the point at which I think one of the fundamental skills that you should be taught when you first start to learn how to code is debugging. It should be one of the things you start with. I'm going to bring it up again. <laughs> Uh, the CS50 course did teach this as it went along. <laughs> we really need a bell sound effect for yes. that, don't we? Ding. Oh, I'll, um... This is CS50! So uh, the two things that I kind of took away from it, uh, well, uh, what little story, one of, them, one of the problems I was working on, I spent about five hours trying to work out what was wrong. So this was in C. Um, so I was I was kind of struggling through working out pointers and memory allocation and all these sorts of things. And I spent five hours. I even got to the point where I'd written it out in pencil, my entire problem, and I had it spread out over my, over my floor and I was going through it line by line. I just couldn't work out what it was um some so the, the the line by line thing is kind of is talking through your code so the first thing that we were kind of taught is get your rubber duck we've talked about rubber ducking before haven't we yes we have and say out loud what your code's meant to be doing line by line and what happens and that was extremely useful didn't help in this particular situation <laughs> um but in the end it ended up i was missing a comma somewhere and somehow, all this time, I'd missed it. <laughs> uh, I suppose so having that written out in pencil is not going to be massively helpful, then, if it's a syntax error like that. No, no. But I, I, I thought I'd checked all of those. So it was it was a a tough error, a silent error as well. So I couldn't really... It was, kind of, it was coming out with the wrong number, but only by a tiny bit, and I didn't know why. <laughs> oh, okay. So it wasn't that you were getting an error message that you could no, interpret. No, no. So it's the sort of bug... I mean, we could probably talk about this later, but there's different types of bugs, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's bugs and bugs. Um, so it's interesting to hear you talk about going through it line by line. Um, is that something you still do often now? Um, not so much. I, I find as... I've that was back in the early days as I've become more experienced I kind of you kind of get a feel for where things might not be going right and I don't know how to describe <laughs> how you get that feel you kind of just I feel I just get a feeling like oh this bit of the code is probably causing this error so I don't need to go quite down to the depths as much. well there are there are levels at which you kind of like when you're putting together a program you there are bits that you know are pretty solid and you you that's like there's just getting the job done and you've got to get from the start to the end of that process and there are other bits that are more likely to have the troublesome sections in so that i i mean i don't know 
I would have thought this got would get less as experience grows, but I find the more I program, the more it seems to say the same, is that there's always, every single project I have always has an element of newness to it, something I've never done before or something I'm not sure about or something I'm like, oh, how am I going to solve that problem? And hope, like, if I'm lucky, there's only ever one of them in a, in a given project or function, but there's off, but it does, it's, seems to be a regular thing it's not uncommon but i think that's a good thing isn't it it shows that you're not just stagnating and doing the same old thing over and over again yeah because it's those those moments of friction when you're coming up across the toughest bugs and solving the hardest problems that's the that's the creative part that's the most satisfying bit sometimes the stretch zone you want to get out of your comfort zone into the stretch zone oh is this your uh, teacher theory coming into play again well yes that's a common sort of thing isn't it to do it to do all to do with flow as well that interconnected Mm. sort of thing pushing yourself outside and if you don't get if you write if you wrote a piece of code and it all worked first time then great (laughs) but um you're not really gonna it's not gonna help you if you're learning for example it might be great if you're writing something for production um but you probably wouldn't trust it if it didn't have any if it didn't go wrong at least once (laughs) well that's a lot of the um thinking behind some tdd practices as well like the red green development like you you make your test and you make it deliberately fail so that you the only way it will run is if your code works so that's mm. the only way you get a green passing test is is it working um, yeah and i guess these when you were talking about having sections of your code that are tougher or you know that are really solid it's um it's this test driven development can probably really help that isn't it because you've got your little sections that work oh absolutely yeah unit tests are a godsend in that scenario um mm. Uh, whatever else you might think of unit tests, they are perfect <laughs> for that, for getting through. They just be able to see where the problem lies and to see which is the first thing that breaks. And, and I guess testing kind of also goes hand in hand with debugging as well, doesn't it? There's the kind of two, in a way, tools at your disposal to help fix your code. Yeah. yeah so the, the the test is a way of showing you, it's one way of showing you exactly what has gone wrong. Um, and also the other things that you rely on are, are error messages. I mean, most languages and frameworks that we're working in have a pretty good system for reporting problems i mean generally speaking if there's a problem i know what line of what file it's come from because of my build tools Hmm. Um, i remember that not not being the case when i was first starting out either that was something like the experience with the tools and knowing what is at your disposal like what kind of helpers you have at your fingertips is something that just comes with experience and familiarity with your the things that you use every day hmm I was gonna, this brings me on to the other, talking about stack, stack traces, is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Where you get the, the lines and lines, something goes wrong, and then there's lines and lines of file names and things like that at the bottom. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I learned that was really, that's kind of stuck with me since the CS50 course is the, you just, just read the bottom line first and then work your way up. Don't worry about all the stuff at the top. <laughs> with my stuff, it's kind of the other way around if I'm looking at uh, stack tracing the in the browser console but often it'll be i mean most of the things that i'm doing have a live compile step so i'll be i'll write my code and then it will be run through linters and formatters and all the kind of things that that make my workflow easy for me and in one in one of those steps if there's a problem it will generally say oh you're missing a missing a semicolon on line 33 or it might be oh something variable is defined like a constant is defined twice or duplicate decoration or something is undefined somewhere um and it like one of the tricks that i've learned is to well not a trick that i've learned but one of the things that comes with a more fancy advanced workflow 
is like, exposing those problems sooner. In the code I was working with, Python and uh, C at the time, it was that that's how you figure out what's gone wrong. You kind of look at the very last couple of lines and that'll tell you exactly where it's happened. Sometimes they even have like, a, it looks like it's got a little arrow exactly where the error happened. But then that depends on the different types of bugs, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So there's those kind of bugs that are... Well, yeah, syntax errors are the easiest to things that will break your code because you've written it wrong, but that are essentially trivial to fix because you just find it and you put the semicolon in the right place or the curly bracket or yeah, or you, whatever it is, or you've missed out a dot in between two variable names or something. Yes, those are, those are the nice errors. You want yeah. you want a syntax error. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the problem is when you fix the syntax error and then there's another error behind it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the level up from that is where. That just things aren't behaving as expected. So everything is put together as you intended, but there's something wrong. There's a flaw in the way you put it together. I had one of these at the weekend, and it was it's just like I didn't have enough time. It was just on a personal project, and I didn't have enough time to fix it when it first came up. And I maybe had just about 20 minutes of looking around, trying to work out what it was, and I knew that it was something simple. It was a way that the data was being passed through the structure. It was getting to one point, and it was just malformed. I was pretty sure I was formatting it in the right way at the top, like a few functions previously. And then the next function, it was receiving it and it was different for some reason. I couldn't work out why. And I had to leave it and I just didn't have enough time to solve it at the time. I had to leave it overnight and go out for the next. It wasn't until the next evening that I was able to sit down again and have a look at it. And it's, I don't know, it's like, it's like you've left the oven on. <laughs> I find that kind of thing all consuming. And I'm like, I'm only like, there's a, no matter what I'm doing and how fun it is and what kind of an exciting weekend I'm having, there's still like always 10 or 15% of my brain that's just ticking over this little... Mm, in the little back thing. of your mind, yeah. yeah. Which sometimes can be fantastic because often I will wake up in the morning <laughs> with the solution. I will have dreamt the solution. <laughs> <laughs> and there are the times that I do that, maybe 8 out of 10 times, I have actually have got the right solution. <laughs> or at least it's a, a pointer in the right direction. Yeah, they do say sleep on it for a reason, don't they? Sometimes if you've been working on it a while and then... But I was going to... The, the alternative to that, I was going to say sometimes... And then it might take you a while to get back knowing kind of where your thought process had got to in trying to work out that bug. So say you'd gone away, you'd had to think about it and you'd not really got anywhere. But then if you come back to it and maybe you had forgotten about it or something, mm -hmm. it takes you a while to get back into the process of trying to find out exactly what went wrong. So it is, it is um, probably, it's hard not to, but probably try and try and close off all your bugs before you leave <laughs> for the day. <laughs> yeah, and that's part of like the perennial thing of developers getting distracted. The cost of just turning around to answer a question to a colleague or to answer the phone can be massive because suddenly all that context that you were holding in your brain has evaporated. Mm. That's one of the things I like about one of the things that draws me to functional programming is Yay. that the units that I'm keeping in my head at any one time are much smaller. Um, I think you need a bell as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, um, so we've got syntax errors, errors that kind of – are there names? Do you know of any names for the other types of errors? Oh, I, I bet. I bet silent errors is mm. kind of what I – are the ones like you were just talking about where something's going wrong but – there's nothing actually broken with your code. Mm -hmm. It's just not doing the thing that you want it to. Yeah, I don't know if the ones I, if I would, what I was describing, I would call a silent error because I was getting the like the expected. This thing is wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> message. Um, it's just I just it wasn't exposing the problem until it wasn't exposing the problem when it was made. It was like a few steps down the line. That was yeah. when it was then surfacing and triggering errors and breaking things. So 
Yeah, I guess maybe you could say the actual problem itself was silent, but it was also it was it turned it turned out to be just about me malforming something, like not formatting it in the way I meant to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, silent ones—the ones where you just have no idea, and it's just everything looks right. You've shown it to someone else; it looks right, but it's still not working. <sighs> Oh, you could tear your hair out with those. <laughs> the one I was talking about earlier, I think it was, I can't remember the details, but it was something like, it should have been returning the number 20, but it was actually returning the number 21.3. <laughs> Just something ridiculous, and I couldn't figure out <laughs> quite quite why that was happening. <laughs> was numbers are numbers can often be tricky because it, like, if it accepts a number, it, like the code thinks it's right, and it's doing what you've told it to, but if that number is wrong somehow, it, like, that's awful. Like, off by... Off by one errors are the canonical example of like the, the most common error. <laughs> like something zero indexed and you're not thinking that it's zero indexed or vice versa. Um, yeah, I, I've come across that. But then those those again are kind of fairly trivial to fix, aren't they? If you can find them, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, yeah. I I haven't worked with code bases that big yet, so yeah. I think the useful like. Probably the most useful part of this discussion is the like strategies for dealing with it. Um, mm-hmm. So we talked about sort of taking time to step back, clear your mind, let your subconscious process what's going on, and come back to it again another time. A way to speed up that process is we've talked about rubber ducking, but I think we should mention it again is to explain it to someone, like talk someone else through the code that you've written. Um, and I'm, I'm always amazed at how often when I'm explaining my code to somebody else. What seems clear in my mind is actually quite garbled, and I find it hard to describe. Um, even if, without having physically described, like physically gone through the act of describing it to someone, till that point, I thought it was perfectly clear, and I thought I had it all in my head. But actually, it, it, I'm amazed how frequently it exposes problems. Mm. Yeah, it does. It is surprising, isn't it, when you say mm. it out loud? Um, to someone, I guess preferably try and find another developer to do this to. <laughs> yeah. But if you haven't got one to hand, that's where the, the rubber duck or small cuddly toy of your choice comes in. <laughs> and the corollary to this as well is uh, if your code is working and it all looks great, all you have to do is show it to someone and then boom, there are all the bugs. They just appear <laughs> magically. <laughs> the curse of demoing. Is, uh... Yes, especially if you're doing a demo. <laughs> um, another thing that I used to do, or I haven't actually done in a while, but I probably should well, okay, let's go back to the beginning. The first thing I did was I would just put print statements everywhere um, when I was having an issue just to see yep. exactly what was happening <laughs> for each item as it went along. <laughs> I think that's a rite of passage. I still, like, if I'm really struggling, I will just throw in console logs everywhere <laughs> just, to, just for my own sanity. Um, uh, but then I came across, I was using PyCharm, uh, an IDE, and the, I found this, you can put a little red dot by uh, by one of the lines... And then it does this, you can press, instead of just running the program, there's a little picture of a bug and you can press it and it will run down and stop at wherever you put the little red dot. So you click next to it and a red dot appears. And then when you run your code, it will run through all the code, but then it will like pause mid running next to the line that you've done it. And then, and then you've got like a few options. So you can kind of click a button to move through to the next line. And at the same time as this, I don't know if this is a common thing, but in PyCharm, it will have, it'll list like at the top of the, in the debugging window, it'll list each of the variables you've got and what they are at that current time. 
and often it'll do it like next to the line as well so this is i guess this is i don't know what it's called and an official debugger the the debugger ide debugger debugger i'm not sure yeah just de- debugger generally speaking um there's a like in the console window in a browser if you're running front end code like javascript you have the same deal so you can sort of view the line view the code that you're running through and you can press to put a debug statement in or you can literally write the word debug in your code at any point in javascript and it will pause execution and like you say shows you exposes you the variables that you have there um things get more complicated the more complex your tooling is as well so often you might be working with stuff that actually is getting minified and squished down so it's actually quite hard to look look at in the browser window so that's where things like source maps uh, come in handy which is sort of when the, the step that takes your code and smushes it down into production-ready, really hard to read, but really optimized code. Um, when that step happens, it also then keeps a reference of things so that when you're doing stuff in development mode, you can have access to, to like the browser knows where that code actually was that you've written. It's not actually trying to point you to the middle of a one-line, million-character-long um, <laughs> piece of code. It's, actually, yeah. it's an absolute nightmare to debug. Um, and then... Like I mean, in my world, like React has pretty good developer tools. I'm really, I'm, I'm really keen for their tools to get an update, hooks wise, because uh, they've got this fantastic new thing called Hooks, which is a way of sort of. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, but it one of the things it does is changes the way you set state in a React application. And previously, you can just go through the React tool debugging tools and go, oh, there's, there's my component, and this is the state that it has at any one time, and you can toggle it, and you can change it, and you can muck around with it doesn't do that with hooks at the moment it just says oh yeah you've got some state i'm not going to tell you what it is <laughs> it's infuriating <laughs> that sounds annoying yeah. yeah that was my favorite thing about working with redux as well which is another add-on to react um which is a kind of flux flow data thing um, i thought you're gonna say flux capacitor then <laughs> no not as, it's not as exciting as that what it, my experience of it was it's this thing that means you have to write an infinite amount of code that you didn't have to write before and it's tedious and boring and annoying. But what it does give you is the ability to travel through time through the state of your application in the browser window. Um, so you open up the Redux debug toolbar and it gives you a list of all the changes of state that have happened and you can just click and back. You can just reverse actions and you can go backwards and forwards and really kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of how your state is behaving in your application, which is fantastic for bug fixing. That's great. Um, I like the sound of being able to go back because on the, the one I've got, you can only ever go forwards. <laughs> yeah, same with the regular the regular JavaScript uh, debugger in the window, the console window. You can, you can jump over a whole function or you can step into it and yeah. go through it line by line, but yeah, going I back think, is trickier. I think when I was doing it once, I accidentally stepped into the, the Python core library at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Got lost in this rabbit hole of <laughs> stepping in. Yeah, that's one of the dangers of using something like like React or Vue or, or something else is you get into that, even jQuery, you get like the amount of times I've spent like, stepping through internal jQuery functions using the debugger. It's oh, tricky. Um, but yeah, the, tri- the important thing is to know where you can go to find out what your application is doing at any one time and then to be able to pause it like that is a fantastic tool and that's like a real like to know that there are debugging tools and that you can have access to them i mean most ides have fantastic add-ons now um yeah. and as well as i mean browser window obviously um has it um, the debugging tools there are su- superb but knowing where they are is a, a big and how to use them is a big sort of turning point in was certainly in my career and in a lot of developers i've seen yes i i found it 
I found using like an official debugger um, quite a little bit intimidating, to be honest, when I was first starting out. That's why I kind of threw the print statements all over the place. Um, I, I don't know what it was. It was just like this extra window would come up and there'd be all these different, there'd be lots of red red words everywhere. <laughs> it would scare me a little bit. Hmm. But once once you actually figure out what's happening and how to use it, um, it does it makes it makes your life a lot easier. I would say I would you, you spend less time having to mm-hmm. mess around writing unnecessary lines, and and you can get right to the point of where you're looking and find out how to uh, fix your problem more quickly. Yeah, another really useful thing along that same vein um, that I realised was that error messages were written to be helpful. They're not just there. <laughs> they're not just there to fill your terminal with red and be scary and look intimidating. They are genuinely, gen- generally, they will point to the source of the problem. Mm. And that's it. That's the first, that should be your first port of call for diagnosing something is if you're in an environment where you have error messages, look at the, look at the message. I mean, it's amazing. How I've, I'm always amazed how many junior developers I come across who just don't read the error message. <laughs> that's the first step. Do that. Um, and then the second step, and this is one I am very guilty of on a very, on a, on a regular, it's a regularly occurring fault of mine is to go and read the documentation of whatever it is you're interacting with as well particularly if it's an api you're having a problem with it's too easy to turn to your colleague and say oh can you just look at this or to look on stack overflow and start googling things when actually the doc the official documentation had the answer there um but then that that goes in parallel with official docs sometimes being a bit dry a little bit hard to decipher too technical overly technical that's why so that's why often the answer can be in the documentation or in the spec like that's even worse if it's if you're a spec, if it's a spec document you're looking through have that with web audio stuff you have to actually look at the spec to find out what's happening mm-hmm. it's or oh, that can be can be really horrible um if you've not come out of a computer science department but then i guess a good uh com- command f control f and searching for particular words in maybe a document is a good way to quickly skip over all the stuff you don't need in that situation oh yeah but it's then the thing that you know is going to be the thing that you you know you're looking for you find it and it's couched in all sorts of extra technical language particularly i mean spec documents are worse than regular documentation and regular documentation is worse than blog posts so it's kind of that's the hierarchy but you can get to you can know that what you're looking at is exactly what you're thinking of and exactly what you're the problem you're having and if you could just understand what these words said <laughs> no <laughs> i think sometimes they delight in being obscure mm. i i would uh, from looking at the python docs i actually find that they're quite reader friendly if anything i i've have times where i'm just saying you're not giving me enough detail because it'll just be one sentence about what a certain uh, fun- uh, method does and then mm. i think oh, i want to actually know what is going on here <laughs> where do i find out more <laughs> and then and then and then yeah that just kind of that's when you have to start stack overflowing yeah but yeah i think that is a good point of giving it a go yourself first reading the error message looking at some documentation before you just jump on mm. the internet because I, I, it's a best, I think you'll probably find out more as you're going as well and especially if you're someone who's still learning instead of maybe like you trying to fix a bug um, mm-hmm. for your job um that you're gonna you're gonna pick up more details about how certain sections of the code work than if you just jumped on and copy and pasted something from somewhere else yeah i mean it's the same no matter what stage in your career you're at you can't hold every single npm module in your head at once you need to refer to documentation you need to google error messages um and even if you're even if looking at the error message 
doesn't solve it straight away for you it gives you a bit of extra context so that when you look through the documentation you have you know like a little bit more about what you're looking for you may, maybe it gives you like it's like throwing down clues little little breadcrumbs you can follow like a, a function name or a certain thing that's a certain type of error code or message even if you don't understand it, it gives you something to then look up and then likewise if you're looking through the documentation it gives even if you don't find what you need or you can't get your head around it it gives you that extra bit of context so that when you do come to like just google stuff and then even and if you get to the point where that's frustrating and you have to ask someone either online on somewhere like stack overflow or like go looking trawling through forums or just ask your colleagues you have a bit more information you can show that you've like put some thought into this you're not just giving up at the first hurdle yes that's uh a very good advice there so that does that uh, grit isn't it that determination to just try and try something three we have a saying at school three before me before you go and ask the teacher you you ask three other students oh, what, okay <laughs> how oh. to fi- how to solve something before you actually go and i guess i am the i am stack overflow at school. <laughs> you're the final ab- you're the final arbiter <laughs> the ultimate source of truth <laughs> you are you are the spec documentation yes i've never said i don't know <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, I think we should also note that you should, like, if, particularly if you're thinking about asking people for help, you should know like how much effort to have put in first before you start asking. You shouldn't be asking for help at every turn. But also, you shouldn't put it off too long either, because that can, I mean, that's something I do on a regular basis, is I'll spend far too long going into the, the weeds on something that I just, just a little bit of context from another human would have straightened out much quicker. Yeah. And on the topic of asking for help, I think there's probably a, a good way of asking someone or writing a Stack Overflow question um, to get th- the best results possible. Mm. I think just going, oh, look, I've got a bug here. It's doing this is probably not a good way to go about doing that. I imagine you would want to give a bit of context, explain what you've mm-hmm. done, be specific about the versions of the of the programming language and whatever else you're using. Um, do you have any tips for that? Um yeah, I mean, the worst scenario possible is that you ask a question and then someone replies with a "Let me Google that for you" link, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, oh, the first thing in Google solves your question. Like, so you must have at least shown that you've. Like, if you're going to warrant other people's time, um, if people are going to give their time to help you solve your problem, which is what asking for help on the internet is ultimately. Um, they don't. They don't know you. They're not. They don't have any reason to, other than generally being helpful. Um, show that you've exhausted as much as you can and that you've re- you've reached the limits of what you can do by yourself. Um, and it's sometimes that's just, oh, I've Googled a few things. I know that there are other questions asking something similar, but this particular bug is different because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I think um, saying that is a really good point to not get people get, giving you the short answer. <laughs> yeah. Saying, I've already Googled it. I'm I'm still mm-hmm. struggling with finding out the reason this is happening. Yeah. And to uh, at least in the way that you structure your question, know that, it's something. It's not just oh, here's an error message. What's this? I think the best thing to do is to make sure that just remember that the person you're talking to has not had this in their head for the last however long amount <laughs> yes. of time, and is not writing your code with you. So they don't. They're coming in quite blind, I guess, to what is happening. Yeah, they only get what you give them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you, you just remember that you need to explain pretty completely what is going on and why it's why it's happening. Maybe an appropriate and a positive place to leave a discussion on debugging is to, I mean, I've put a, a little Julia Evans Twitter comic thing in the in the show notes, um, how I got better at debugging. Um, 
and it's like just the steps of her thought processes that she's gone through and what you get from experience but the thing that i would like to take away from it is that yeah treat treat it as an adventure (laughs) this is this is what programming is so embrace it and think every time there's a bug you learn something and the more you learn the the fewer bugs you get so that it does mean that the bugs get more complicated but it means that the satisfaction you get from fixing them is greater as well I think that is a a happy note to finish this on. I think, yeah, that grit, determination, be positive. Just, yeah, try and alter your mindset when you're sat there going, oh, it's never going to work. It will work eventually. It always does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I say it always does. I'm sure. Usually it does. Um, It just takes time and thinking logically about what's going on. They're just computers. They're not humans. Yes. We We have more complex minds than them. Yeah, I think that's also one of the well, maybe to to come down from the excitement. <laughs> the more sobering thing is, if there's a bug, it's your fault. You made it. <laughs> you, fi- you fix that thing. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. Was it? That's the good one on Julie Evans. Is the bug is happening for a logical reason? It is. Yes. The computer is doing exactly what you've told it to. It's there is a reason it's happening. Yeah, it's never magic, really. Even when it makes no sense, is what she's written, and I think that's excellent advice. So if we put our weather application hats on and we get into stand-up mode, Do-lo-lo-lo. I can't remember how the thing. I can't remember how the thing goes. <laughs> you, you made the thing and you've forgotten it already. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, anyway, cue music. It's not that long. <laughs> it's really long. It's an epic. Yeah, the epic version. Um, so yeah, if you look at the bottom of the notion card for this episode i've put a pretty picture in for you well it's it's clear what's this, this is better than 22 percent of the country doing the accuracy is better yeah yeah that, obviously so that's not very clear then <laughs> <laughs> so what i've what i'm showing ed is a little mock-up of a, a mobile application page that sort of displays the information that we are gathering and hoping to process um, so it's a little kind of a little gradient background. It's got a little SVG map thing going on to show where you are. You can select like what, what location you're looking at, and then it gives you some information for that location, which is based on the stuff that we're gathering. And so this is all, all that we've got here is achievable with the data that we're collecting. If we work out how to get that percentage. <laughs> no, no, I'm on that. I'm on that. That's on my, that's on my to-do list as well. That's fine. Very yeah. good. So thoughts? It looks good. I would. There's a lot of text there. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be nicer to simplify it if we can. But yeah, I'm very um I'm down with that. Is that the correct terminology? <laughs> uh, maybe twenty years ago, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, the first first draft was a nice blue gradient in the background, but it looked way too much like every single other weather app out there. Like so BBC weather or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, had to change it. Green. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and also one thing I will note is that this is very much tailored to the convenient thing of having the map of Cornwall kind of jut in from the top right hand side. <laughs> um, you do that for any other county, and it's going to look a bit more messy. So we might have to tweak it. Or you slightly. could fade it out in the, and mm-hmm. oh, unless you make it smaller. Mm. So what I've got is a an SVG map of the UK where all the counties are outlines like that. So we can drop it. So I was imagining if you were say in Oxfordshire, oh, you see. would then you see the, the just the Oxfordshire map there. Yeah. Um, so we might have to tweak the scale for each one. I mean, the, the Cornish one does look particularly... I think that's probably the best one of all of them because it's mostly coastline. So it looks, <laughs> it looks really good and it fits nicely into the design. More blobby, ugly counties. I think those... 
those awful careful folks. <laughs> we'll get complaints <laughs> those awful, those awful folks north of the Tamar they're the counties that aren't in good shape they're uh, <laughs> they'll present more challenges but I think that's something we can we can get yeah. around uh, do we want to show the current temperature as well do we have how accurate is that because people are that's the sort of thing I what I was thinking was interesting is that this is completely separate to something that's actually telling you the weather this is to judge another weather app by mm-hmm. yeah. that's true um, and as soon as you start putting the current temperature on there, people are going to like have the app and then a thermometer in one hand and go, no, you're wrong. <laughs> it opens us up to that. So <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be predicting the weather or telling people what we think the weather is where they are right now. We want to be saying, is the weather service that you use accurate for your location? But we can only access one weather service. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is, yeah, this is MVP. This is proof yeah. of concept. Yeah. Does the information that we're giving feel useful when you look at it? Is what we're trying to get to. Would there be a better way to visualise the three days, two days, and one day out? Yes, that's my least favourite part of the thing. I think we could maybe do that with a lot. It could like maybe a graph, maybe bars. Yeah, no, I'm very. I, I that looks very professional, to be honest. Yeah. So we'll put that in the show notes then. We can do it. And also, if you look on your, if you have a look at your phone now and, and you have a podcast player that supports it, you will see the little picture instead of yeah. the logo. Yeah, little chapter picture. That's chapter, good. Good chapter commit, picture. Committing yourself to. Do I did that, it then. last time. I did it for the one last time we did it. Oh, did you? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Because I really, I really appreciate that when I'm listening to a podcast and the artwork changes to, for, per chapter. Yeah, I I, I put it up for the other one. That's the only other time I've done it. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, we'll stick with that. And I need to do, I need to create my API. I've been busy with other things. No, that's all right. But I can, (laughs) I can put this, I can start putting this together into a, like, take this design if you're happy with it. And the basic, the basic premise and actually render that in markup and try and shove our, I, even if I just simulate, like just take a JSON export, a JSON dump of the stuff you've got so far, I can use that. Um, I don't know how hard this would be. Could you change the colour of the background depending on uh, how accurate the weather is? Yeah, this is true. <laughs> so from yeah, like could we go from green, green to... Green all the way down to like yellow, red orange, or red. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. That'd be really nice. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, that'd be very good. We just need to... So this would be a mobile web page. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That's where it would be most easy, yeah, simplest to put together and condensed. I think it's important we don't overwhelm people with too much information. Hmm. Yeah. Great. As always, thanks for listening and make sure you're telling your friends or anyone that is learning to code about the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at AQOCode and our website is AQOC.dev. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank <music> you.